0: We're going to be diving right on into scripture this morning. And uh, as I was studying this week, the Lord was just kind of connecting scripture after scripture. And so there's a lot of Bible in here this morning. If you look at your outline, there is like uh, over 20 Bible references probably. Um, so there's a lot this morning, but I believe that that is part of rightly handling and dividing the word of God. Um, and as the Bible talks about you know, rightly handling and dividing, I think that that entails letting Scripture interpret Scripture for itself. Um, so it's a lot of less about what I've got to say, and it's what does the Bible say about this particular uh, subject. And so we're going to be getting into some Greek and some Hebrew words this morning as well. Um, so if you get lost, if you get lost, if you go home with your outline and you read every Scripture reference In it, I tried to organize it to where if you read each scripture in the order that I laid it out on your outline, then you will see the picture uh, that scripture is weaving uh, together here. So, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a uh, German pastor, and he said, Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. And it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. And uh, as believers, we are promised persecution. And that's the title of my message this morning, the promise of persecution. And Jesus explicitly states this to his disciples. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. I said these things to you, not that you may fear, not that you may worry, not that you may have anxiety. I've said these things to you so that you may have peace. In the world you will have what? Tribulation. Notice that Jesus does not say you won't or you might. Jesus says you will have tribulation. And the, the, the Greek word for the phrase you will have is the Greek word echo. And it means to experience a state or condition. And the Greek word for tribulation is thlipsis, which means trouble, distress, oppression, tribulation, trouble involving direct suffering. So what Jesus is telling his disciples is... In the world, you will experience a state or condition of trouble, distress, oppression, or tribulation involving direct suffering. Jesus is not promising his disciples a carefree, easy life. Jesus is promising his disciples a life that is going to experience distress at some point or another. We've not been promised an easy life, but I tell you what we have been promised, and that is persecution. Why would Jesus, this question, I just, this question came up to me as I was studying. I just thought, why would Jesus promise his disciples persecution? Why would Jesus promise us persecution? And the reason why Jesus is promising persecution is to get our eyes off ourselves and fixed on him. The very next sentence says what? Take heart, I've overcome the world. Not you have overcome the world. Not you will overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. Persecution is a challenging uh, and hard topic to teach on. And as as I was studying this week, my eyes really began to open to what weight there is to following Jesus Christ and what that entails. And you look at the 12 disciples and how they died, and we begin to recognize how little persecution that we here in America have faced. This is I'm going to go through all 12 of them. This is by what tradition says. If there's something that's different, that's what tradition says. I'm just going based off of what I found. Simon Peter... Was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified on an X, and while he was on this X-styled cross, he preached the whole time while hanging on the cross. James was beheaded. John was sent to Patmos, and then he was released, and then he was killed in Ephesus. Philip was hung. Nathaniel probably got the worst, in my opinion. Nathaniel was flayed, with, flayed to death with knives. Matthew died a martyr's death. Thomas, a natural death and due to martyrdom. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned or clubbed to death. Thaddeus, martyr via arrows. Simon the Zealot, crucifixion. And Judas, as we all know, uh, hung himself before Jesus' crucifixion. So I, I, I look at all of these apostles, and I just think, man, I I feel the weight of what a follower of Jesus means, what that actually entails. And I I like to think that if someone held a gun to my head and said deny Jesus Christ or you're gone, I would like to think that I would say yes. But I've never been in the situation before. And so I pray like, Lord, help me to be ready when if the, if that moment comes. Cuz I can think about it all I want, but when the and we would all say yes. No doubt I'd say that until you have a gun pointed at your face and says deny Jesus or else, right? That's when it gets serious. And I look at all these things and I begin to feel the weight of being a follower of Jesus and what that means. And it's not an easy call. It's a call to endurance and it's a call to faith and it's a call to steadfastness. It's interesting that all of the letters that Paul writes with persecution, this is a normal thing that Christians should be dealing with, but we've all lived comfortable lives, and maybe perhaps that's why we struggle with sermons on persecution is because we all live comfortable lives. But notice what Jesus says about persecution in Matthew chapter 10 through 11. This is where I'm going to spend probably the majority of the time because I I want to connect a lot of stuff. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Point number one is this. The blessing of persecution. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to look at a couple Greek words here, okay? By the way, I do this almost every sermon. I do this even in my youth group. We look at the Greek and Hebrew words because that is the original language that the Bible was written in, so therefore we need to go back and see what they were actually saying and what they meant with these words. So the Greek word for blessed is makarios, and it means blessed, happy, fortunate, and it is used in the sense of being characterized by happiness and being highly favored as of by divine grace. Now, this Greek word makarios is used 50 times in the New Testament. And 50 out of 50 times, it means blessed, happy, fortunate, used in the sense of being characterized by happiness and being highly favored. So it's by no mistake that Jesus is telling his disciples that if you are being persecuted for righteousness' sake, you are fortunate. Fortunate are those who are persecuted. And the Greek word for persecuted is dioko, and it means to systematically oppress and harass. It's not just somebody said something bad about me because I'm a Christian. It means to systematically oppress and harass somebody due to their religious beliefs. So Jesus is saying, fortunate are those who are systematically harassed and attacked due to their religious beliefs. For what? For what? For righteousness' sake. For righteousness' sake. Righteousness is the Greek word diakiosune, and it means righteousness, what is right, justice. It is used in the sense of the act of doing what God requires. That's righteousness. So, you take all of that and you put it together. What is Matthew 5.10 saying in other words? Fortunate are those who are systematically harassed and attacked for their religious beliefs for the sake or on account of doing what God requires. How are those who are persecuted fortunate and how are those who are persecuted blessed? Jesus tells you in the second part of that verse, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Fortunate are those who are systematically harassed and attacked for their religious beliefs on the sake or on account of doing what God requires, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you think about this, when you think about the context of what Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people who are being persecuted by the Roman Empire every single day. And, and, and they're living in this political persecution, and they're all looking for this warrior Messiah to show up and free them. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, what he's doing is getting this crowd's eyes off of their physical condition that they are currently living in and helping them understand that if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for believing in the one whom the Father has sent, you will inherit the kingdom of God. So Jesus is showing them, if you can just step back for a moment, if you can just look at the bigger picture If you can just get your eyes off this physical persecution that you're going through and start realizing that if you're persecuted for my sake, you would actually rejoice in this persecution because you would know that yours is the kingdom of God. And now we know why James chapter 1 says to count it all joy, my brothers, when you face various trials of tribulations. That is why Jesus tells this crowd, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And this is why Paul writes to Timothy and says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Endure in the Greek means to continue to stand firm despite difficulty and suffering. If I continue to stand firm despite difficulty and suffering, I will also reign with him. This is why Paul says to the Christians in Rome... In Romans chapter 8, verse 16 through 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. If we share in suffering with Jesus, we may also be glorified, and the Greek means to be honored together. With him, this is why Paul says to the Christians in Thessaloniki in Second Thessalonians chapter one, verses four through five. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also are suffering. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are those, blessed are you, excuse me, blessed are you, When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. There's that same Greek word there, blessed, makarios, meaning fortunate. Still means blessed, happy, and fortunate. For revile, the Greek word is onidizo, and it means to insult, denounce, to speak little worth of a person in a manner which is not justified. And it is used in the sense... To find fault with, mere, with real or merely perceived faults in a harsh and demeaning manner. In verse 11, persecute is used in the same definition and sense. To systematically oppress and harass. Now, in verse 10, this persecution was in the third person. Jesus said, blessed are those. In verse 11... Jesus switches to the second person and says, blessed are you. Okay, one commentary puts it like this. It says, Jesus switched to the second person, focusing his comments directly at his listening disciples. So he's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are those, okay, engaging the entire crowd. And then he says, blessed are you, engaging his listening disciples, so Jesus goes from a crowd to directly to his disciples. And in verse 11, Jesus is telling his disciples to not be surprised or caught off guard when people revile you, which is harshly criticized, and persecute you, which is systematically oppress and harass, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me. Now, why would Jesus tell his disciples to not be surprised about this? John chapter 15 verse 18 will tell you, if the world hates you, knew that it hates me first. Jesus faced such treatment. Jesus is preparing his disciples to expect nothing different. If Jesus is preparing his disciples two thousand years ago to expect nothing different, then why would he? We then why would we here in present time expect something different? Well, I'm not going to face any persecution. I'm not going to face no, 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 no. I wonder why. If, just I wonder why we're we're not facing persecution because the church isn't actually doing what it's supposed to do. Matthew chapter 10, verse 18, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. John chapter 15, verse 20 through 21, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, guess what? They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. Matthew 5.10. Matthew 5.10. What is the persecution for? What's the persecution for in 5.10? Righteousness. In Matthew 5.11, what is the revilement, persecution, and false evil for? Jesus says it's because of me. Two things to note here. Number one, if you stand for righteousness, which is doing what God requires, you will be reviled and persecuted. Number two, if you proclaim and believe in Jesus, you will be reviled and persecuted. It doesn't matter. And imitating Jesus means to, means to live a, a righteous life, to live righteously. And we see all throughout Scripture that this evil world that we live in hates righteous living. So if the disciples were willing to go through the persecution... Why aren't we? And the thing is, is that we get, we get upset and we get hurt when somebody says terrible things about us because we're a Christian. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have any feelings. But what I'm saying is that the word when it talks about persecution is to systematically oppress and harass somebody. I don't know if we've been systematically oppressed yet. And we may be coming to a time where that happens. But guess what? You can remember if you are systematically oppressed and are harassed for your religious beliefs, be in all joy because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Number two, how should Christians react to persecution? There is a ton of verses about how Christians should react to persecution. However, I wanted to go back and look at Daniel as what we as Christians should do when we face persecution, okay? I want to look at Daniel as the example for us. So Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, note this, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now a satrap is a governor who has some considerable power. And over these satraps, were high officials, and Daniel was one of those high officials. And in the Hebrew, that means he was an administrator above these satraps, okay? These satraps reported to these high officials. So Daniel was in an elevated position in the kingdom. Then amongst those high officials, it says that Daniel was distinguished amongst them. In other words, Daniel is tier one, right? You think of the military, and then we've got Navy SEALs, and then within those Navy SEALs are like tier one Navy SEALs. That's kind of what Daniel's like here, okay? He's kind of tier one. Why was Daniel tier one amongst the other high officials? Remember what I told you to note. Because an excellent spirit was in him. Now, in this particular instance of spirit, the word ruach, It is referring to the mind, heart, and spirit of a person focusing on the ability of reasoning. However, there was a supernatural being, Ruach, that gave him that excellent mind, spirit, and heart, and that was the Lord. So Daniel is elevated to a high position because the Lord had given him an excellent spirit. Okay. Daniel chapter 6, 4 through 5. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. Because an excellent spirit had gave him the ability to do that. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Doesn't this sound familiar? Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are those, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Look at the next verses, Daniel chapter 6, 6 through 9. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and an enforce and injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Doesn't this sound familiar too? Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting how persecuted, how persecution is defined as systematic oppression and harassment due to one's religious beliefs. And in Daniel chapter 6, we see that a system is oppressing and harassing Daniel for his religious beliefs. The word of God is consistent in the way that it interprets itself. So how does Daniel react to this persecution? This systematic oppression and harassment. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, as soon as Daniel found out that the document was signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had previously done. Daniel's reaction to this persecution was found in the posture of his heart. Daniel got on his knees praying in the Hebrew, pray in intercession, and gave thanks in the Hebrew, expressing gratitude before his God. And watch this, as he had done previously. Why emphasize as he had done previously? The reason why I'm emphasizing that is because when persecution hit Daniel, nothing changed. Why? Because he continued doing what he had always done. Daniel didn't have to get ready because Daniel was ready. He already lived a life of prayer and gratitude. So when persecution came, nothing changed. He was going to continue living a life of prayer and gratitude. Daniel lived his entire life in Babylon postured in prayer. In the face of persecution, may we endure it through a constant posture of prayer. Daniel chapter 6, verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So when these men kicked in Daniel's door, guess how they found him? They found Daniel in a posture of prayer. When persecution comes, will you be found in a posture of prayer? If they came and kicked our doors in, would they find us in a posture of prayer? After this, Daniel's then thrown into the lion's den, as the king has no other choice other than to hold to the law that he was deceived into signing. Verse 22, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. So because of Daniel's faithfulness and endurance through persecution, God spared his life. Daniel was blessed by the Lord for his obedience. In the face of persecution, Daniel decided to remain steadfast and obedient in his relationship with the Lord. Are we going to find are we going to be found steadfast and obedient in the face of persecution? And may we search our hearts with that answer because we all would immediately say yes. But would we really be found? Would anything change? In Daniel's life, nothing changed. That's why I wanted to pick him as the example. I just thought, man, what a great way. What a great picture. They kick in his door. Mm. Daniel, we're here to take you to the lion's den. And he was found in a posture of prayer before his Lord as he had already done previously, because nothing changed. Point number three is this. The future persecution of the saints and the call to endure. The future persecution of the saints and the call to endure. If you don't know already... There is going to be a future persecution of the saints. And this is talked about in Revelation chapter 13. Now, I don't have enough time to dig into this debate of whether or not these are the saints and these passages that are saved in the tribulation, or if this is the church, I don't have time to get into that debate. The point is this. There is going to be a future persecution of the saints. That's the point. Revelation chapter 13 verse 7 Also and it, this is where this is where this is going to all come together. You're going to see how you're going to see how consistent the Bible is. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Okay. Daniel is going to give us even more insight into this scene. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24? If you want to know these times, go read about what the prophet Daniel says. If you want to understand biblical prophecy, you've got to understand what Daniel is talking about. So we're going to go look at what Daniel says because it's then talked about in Revelation. Daniel chapter 7 verse 21 through 22. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So a beast rises out of the sea. Okay? A beast rises out of the sea, and this represents a persecuting power. Okay? The beast represents the Antichrist and his government or his system. The sea is symbolic of the people or nations of the world, okay? And a supplementary supplementary text for the sea being symbolic of the people or nations of the world is Revelation chapter 17, verse 15. And the angel said to me, the waters, the sea is a water, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. Now, remember... The Greek word for persecute means to systematically oppress and harass one due to their religious beliefs. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 7, and in Daniel chapter 7, verse 21, what do we see? We see a system oppressing and harassing the saints due to their religious beliefs. The beast, the Antichrist is forcing people to worship him, and when the saints refuse to worship him, they are what? Martyred. The saints remain faithful even in the face of persecution when they reject this religion that is controlled by the Antichrist. And this is all consistent with what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the saints are able to withstand the persecution from the beast system because they know that if they are persecuted for righteousness' sake, then they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Y'all with me this morning? I know it's a lot of information. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High. Who is he? The Antichrist, the beast. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the laws, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time. That's 1,260 days. Wear out is used in the sense to oppress. So again... This lines up with persecution, meaning to systematically oppress and harass due to one's religious beliefs. The beast system is systematically oppressing the saints because they choose to remain faithful to the Lord and not submit to the beast system. This dominion that the beast possesses is going to be taken away. Okay? So this beast system is going to rise, but then it's going to be taken away. Daniel chapter 7 verse 26. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. What happens once the beast's dominion is taken away? Daniel chapter 7 verse 27 is going to tell you. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So after the beast's kingdom is stripped away, the kingdom of Jesus will be established, the everlasting kingdom. And Jesus' kingdom is not that of oppression, but of servanthood and obedience. And this is consistent with every single passage that we've talked about so far. It's consistent with Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. These saints are persecuted by the beast system, but they don't give in. And so theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is consistent with 2 Timothy 2, verse 12. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. It's consistent with First Thessalonians chapter one, verse four through five. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you and the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteousness judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. It's consistent with John chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We are promised persecution, but if we remain steadfast, then the Lord will lift us up. Do not grow weary while doing good, for in due time God will lift you up. After the beast system is discussed in Revelation chapter 13. At the end of the chapter, it says this in verse 10, a pretty little bow on it. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. When persecution hits and when it comes our way, may we remember this call to endurance and faith. When they come kicking in the doors, may we be found in a posture of prayer. And this is all consistent with the final verse. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So in other words, if they persecuted the prophets who were before me and I'm being persecuted, looks like I'm in some good company. Stand with me this morning. You know, I, I want you to know that. I want you to know that when I get up here, when I have the opportunity uh, to get up here and and share the word with you guys, I don't change anything from what I would do on a Wednesday night. Like what you got, what you just got this morning is how I talk to our youth. And I want you to know that. God is doing something in Generation Z. He really is. Like I was, as I was going through high school, and I'm on the, I'm on the oldest side of Gen Z, I'm 26. When I was going through high school, it was always just, man, this next generation, they don't want to do nothing. This next generation, they don't want to, don't do that. Please don't do that. Because there's something there's something within this generation that I get to see on a weekly basis. And these kids are not the church of tomorrow, as we often say. These kids are the church of right now, like today. We had 27 kids on Wednesday. Like we're getting close to 30. And I've got many of my youth boys like in a dead sprint to get chairs into the youth room. Because I'm like, what the heck is going on? I've got no room in here. It's hot back there. It's sweaty back there and it's like, you know what? That's just part of what it is though. Like that's the youth, that's just what it When we had our youth conference here in December, we did a full entire foot washing service. I washed every single boy's feet in my youth group and my wife washed all, washed all of the girls' feet. You should have seen the water in this tub. I'm telling you, like oh, it was terrible. I'm telling you, it was terrible. But I didn't just sob with my youth group. Like, I brought the worship team out. I brought the people in the kitchen out. I was washing the leader's feet, like, I was just down there for Jesus. And I'm like, Lord, if this is what it looks like, then so be it. If this is what it takes for a generation to wake up and in the face of persecution and in the face of all the junk that they're going through, to stand and say, you know what? I'm standing for Jesus. I'm standing for righteousness. I'm standing for truth. I'm not buying into the lies that you're telling me, but I'm selling out for Jesus. If that's what it takes for me to get down here on a soaking wet altar, washing kids' feet, then I'll do it 100 times over. And I don't say this to be mean, but if you're like, man, that ne- that next generation they don't want to do anything, they've probably invited more kids to church than you've invited to church. I'm just telling you. They love Jesus. And then after the foot washing, we had a spontaneous baptism baptism and the, and the tank back here, one of our students was like, I want to be baptized. And I'm like, let's go fill up the tank. So we fill up the tank. One student gets baptized. And then another student gets baptized. And then another student gets baptized. And we had like 11 baptisms at the end of the night. And I FaceTime Owen at like 9.45 p.m. And he's on his couch. I think, he was, I think I woke him up from a nap. I don't remember. But I said, Owen, oh, look at what's going on. And he's on the screen looking And there's just kid after kid after kid being baptized. And then he came in the next day and he's like, Why is the altar all soaked? And I was like, We had a whole entire foot washing last night. We were running out of towels back there. We were throwing tablecloths on kids. Like, I had no idea what to do. Because there's something within this generation they're hungry and they're thirsty. These kids want to do something. They don't don't want to just sit at home. They come to church consistently all of the time. And that's what we're going to need. Because there are going to be times where persecution is going to come knocking on our door. And we may experience it like we never, ever have before. And we all need to be ready. We need to be found ready in a posture of prayer. Not just the... Older people of the church, not just the younger people of the church. This is where we collectively as a team, as the ecclesia, church of God, come together. So if you just bow your heads with me, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If that's you, just raise your hand. Just say, Jesus, I I want you to have all of me. I want you to have all of me. Anybody. Christians are praying right now. Anybody. I see that hand. Anybody else? Okay. Now I want us to pray. If you are facing some sort of persecution in your life, maybe you are being systematically harassed and oppressed at your job for believing in Jesus. Maybe others are just reviling you because of Christ's sake. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Nobody looking around. If that's you, keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Christians are praying right now. We're going to say a quick prayer, and then I'm going to do one more prayer. So, Lord, all these hands that are lifted up, we praise you and thank you that in the face of persecution, in the face of revilement, that these people are not backing down for you, but they are continuing for you in servanthood and obedience, Father God. I pray that you give them strength. I pray that you lift them up. I pray that they not grow weary while doing good, but in due time you lift them up, Father God, and that those who are persecuting them will come to know who you are through their witness, Jesus. And one last prayer that I want us to pray. is that maybe you too can sense in your spirit that there may be coming a time where we are on a whole other level systematically oppressed and harassed for our religious belief. I just want to know how many people are going to be standing next to me when that's going through it. If you would raise your hand and we all together say this prayer. Just lift your hands up. I'm on the team too. I'm here, Jesus. We're going to do it together as a team. Father, we praise you and thank you, Jesus. We know that we are facing times that we have never seen before, that we are in unprecedented times. But I pray, Jesus, that if that persecution comes knocking on our door, that church alive will be found in a posture of prayer, that the entire church as a whole will be found in the posture of prayer, that that, that we will not throw in the towel, that we will not give up, but that we will continue to be servants for you and obedience for you. And so what? You can spit in my face. You can throw whatever at me. I'm going to stand for Jesus, and I'm going to stand for truth, and I'm going to stand for righteousness. We praise you, and we thank you, God. And the church said amen. Amen. Have a good week.